0: I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain.
2: And I'm your host, Mary Wilkerson.
1: We're excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure and subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, thanks again so much for being on the show, and how are you today? I'm
0: doing great. Thank you, Mike. Good to be with you, Mary.
1: Archbishop, I know it's uh, only been a month since we last spoke to you, basically, but h- how's your last month been? Everything been okay for you?
0: been a really very much blessed month. Um, you know, the, uh, the preface for Easter says that we have this unbounded joy, and so I've been trying to live in my Easter joy and not let hmm. the devil take it away from me.
1: <laughs> that's Same. Good. Yeah, that's really good. It's hard sometimes, right? But
0: <laughs> it is. Yeah. One of my great joys in April was to uh, be the principal celebrant for the baccalaureate mass at uh, the seminary. Oh, so there were 101 cool. uh, certificates and degrees oh. that were given to our students, which I think wow. is a great achievement yes. for uh, the future of the church. Amen.
1: That is great. I know as I understand also this last month you shared your testimony on the I Am Here campaign which I know if people if listeners don't remember this is a campaign from the Archdiocese of Detroit working in conjunction with the Hallow app in support of the National Eucharistic Revival and so obviously trying to get as many testimonies from our own people within the Archdiocese to share how the Eucharist has made a deep impact in their life and Archbishop this last month you shared your own testimony. How was that for you? Um, I'm a
0: sort of a reserved person, so uh, it's a little challenging for me sometimes to uh, talk about something so personal. But it was a good mm-hmm. experience and an opportunity to, uh, for me to take stock of uh, the whole history of uh, my growth in the faith in the Holy Eucharist from when I was mm. a little kid until today.
1: Yeah. Great. When I read your uh, when you said read your testimony, I know we've sp- spoken about it on the show already, but it just seemed like the the depth of the power of those mm-hmm. those religious sisters mm-hmm. who uh, really helped form you and raise you in your childhood and in your school. How how deep of an impact they really had came through when reading that. You know,
0: I've often thought that what the sisters did was uh, I mean today we call it sharing faith. Uh, mm-hmm. They shared their own devotion, their own faith, and it reminded me of the challenge all of us who are catechists have uh, to be about that same thing that uh, it's not just it's not it's never just about content this is what we mean oh. by evangelizing catechesis uh-huh. uh, presenting the mysteries of faith uh, as an invitation for a deeper self-gift to Jesus
2: yeah that's that's fantastic and i do love the the power of the personal witness you know and so i know mike you've done an i am here as well and i always enjoy reading them and in considering how the Eucharist moves in different people's lives. So, thanks for sharing that, Archbishop.
0: You're very welcome.
2: This last month, and this is another cause of hope and joy in the Archdiocese, Bishop Fisher ordained six men to the transitional diaconate, the last step before they're ordained priests next year. And later this month, you will ordain five other men to the priesthood, men who have already served as transitional deacons for the last year. That is 11 new priests in two years, God willing. Can you share your thoughts on this, especially as it relates to our year of prayer for priestly vocations?
0: Well, my first thought is to be grateful to God that uh, he's uh, been hearing our prayers for priestly uh, candidates already, even prior to the year that we prayed, uh, Mm -hmm. that the year we're in. And I'm very grateful for that. And uh, it's a pledge that he will hear our prayers. And the more ardently we pray, uh, the more he will uh, be able to open our hearts to receive his gifts. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thought is uh, these are good numbers and I want to give God thanks for it. But I also want God to be attentive and I'm telling him, we're all telling him we could use more help.
2: (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. yes. It was pretty awesome i was able to be at the diaconate ordination and i think i'll be able to join the priestly ordination as well and i get to bring my little kids to them and i think that's it's so cool when they see um these men and some of them they know personally uh make this this big step and like i said joy and hope are the words that come to my mind uh being present at these masses so it's it's exciting
0: Mary, you need to invite some guys from Divine Child High School, too. Ooh, <laughs> I mean, I
2: was looking for the plug there, Archbishop, and you just <laughs> led right to it. So, <laughs> and we sure will. Just so you know, in my office, I have a poster and I have guys circled that are like are the DC guys and, and men that I know. And so when students come in, they'll say, Well, why do you have that person circled and it's so that I can tell them their little faith stories? So you just wait, Archbishop. It's coming.
1: All right. <laughs> <laughs> You know continuing to look ahead i know uh archbishop i heard that next month you're actually taking a pilgrimage to lords which i know is is a place so deep in your heart Uh, you've you spoke about that many times on the show uh you're going with the knights and dames of malta and so i'm excited to hear that uh that for your sake, you know, I know you must be excited to go, and I look forward to, I think, next month when we're going to discuss it on this uh, this specific show, but uh, tell us a little bit about how that came to fruition and any specific plans you have within that trip.
0: Uh, I've been associated with the Knights and Dames of Malta since I was sent out to California to Oakland by our Holy Father to be the Bishop of Oakland, and... uh, The Knights and Dames were very welcoming to me, very supportive. They made me feel very much at home and they recruited me for the pilgrimage. And I think I've gone 11 times since uh, I went out to uh, California from that first pilgrimage. And uh, I find it a a really blessed experience. It's a wonderful opportunity to uh, experience the, the graces that Our Lord Jesus sent his mother to Lourdes in order to mediate uh, those graces for us. Uh, One of the things that I'll get to do this time around uh, in going to to, uh, the pilgrimage is to be the principal celebrant for the uh, communal anointing of the sick, which is uh, at Lourdes, which is a, a, a sacred place devoted to the sick, is always a wonderful experience. That's beautiful.
2: Well, we will be praying for you, certainly, and for all the pilgrims that will be traveling, that uh, God does big things, and I'm sure he will. Um, Our topic today, we get to talk about Living Acts 29. To begin, we should note that the Bible's Acts of the Apostles concludes with chapter 28. So I wanna ask you, Archbishop, because I've heard this phrase before, what then is Acts 29? What do we mean when we say we are living this unwritten chapter?
0: We mean that, The work that began at Pentecost didn't stop with Paul in Rome, but uh, it's continued for all the centuries thereafter. We uh, God is writing the history of salvation in our time too. And so uh, we continue uh, the apostolic acts in the church today. Uh, the Bible is finished, but the work of salvation is not. and. Uh, we're doing the same work as paul and peter and philip and stephen and we need to uh, have the same kind of intensity and the same trust in the power of the of the holy spirit at work in our world we're not getting old and tired the church just gets younger and younger <laughs>
1: That's great. yeah You know, just to give some context to our conversation, I know we're going to be focusing on that uh, the chapter that, you know, in theory doesn't actually exist in the scriptures themselves, but were being written today. But just to give context to the rest of Acts of the Apostles, can you just kind of give us maybe a quick overview of that book of the the scriptures? Um, You know, maybe what was happening in that narrative specifically. And, you know, you mentioned some of the key players within that. But uh, if you can kind of give us an overview just to frame our conversation, that'd be wonderful, Archbishop.
0: Well, uh, in the Acts uh, of the Apostles, the author, St. Paul, actually himself gives us the frame. And and he does it by uh, the citation of our Lord's own words. uh, Stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then they are to give witness to his resurrection in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Galilee and then out of uh, what we now call the holy land to all the parts of the world and so that's the framework and Mm -hmm. it starts with peter's preaching on pentecost day it's taken up by the other apostles Uh, it grows with uh, the signs and wonders and then it goes uh, there's the persecution that breaks out and so the disciples are scattered and god uses that scattering to spread the word farther. And Antioch becomes uh, really a kind of a second headquarters. And Mm. being in Antioch uh, puts the gospel very much in touch with the Gentiles. And so that whole world begins to be broken open for the gospel. Peter is part of that, of course, but it becomes especially the work of St. Paul to carry the gospel. And he goes from uh, what we now call Asia Minor That part of uh, the Hellenistic world that's uh, east of the Hellespont, he crosses Mm -hmm. to Philippi and uh, makes his first uh, European converts. Mm -hmm. And so it's about this spread from Jerusalem out. And, uh, you know, finally the gospel came to North America, South Mm -hmm. America. Uh, I presume it's in Antarctica, but I don't know that, that, that there is any bishop down
2: there. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, Mike and I used to do a podcast with Father Mario Amore called "Certifiably Catholic," and we would always joke that we wanted, you know, to know that the podcast had reached Antarctica. And I think at one point somebody was like, you know, a friend of mine is down there, and they said maybe. So <laughs> I'm sure the gospel has reached to to Antarctica as well. Um, <laughs> it's 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 neat to think about. And to meditate on the the spreading of the gospel, I like how you framed that in the way that Acts does. Um, you've also written in um, I, in the in the pastoral letter, Unleash the Gospel on Acts 29. And in this, you in the Guidepost One, you referred to the new Pentecost. Uh, Another really good point of meditation would be this new Pentecost idea. So if you can explain to us, what is the new Pentecost and how does it kind of bridge or relate to Acts 29?
0: Well, I think it's the right name, Mary. New Pentecost is the right name for the grace that we are asking for and we are expecting. Uh, It's another uh, way of talking about the fact that uh, the grace of salvation uh, is not dissipated, but we live this mystery today. Uh, It's in the scripture. It's recorded not only for our uh, uh, information, but for our imitation. And uh, we need the same gifts uh, that uh, the Apostle Peter, the other 11, uh, including Matthias, uh, that Our Lady obtained uh, for them through her prayer and they, by their prayer, for the nine days between the Ascension and, and uh, Pentecost Sunday itself. So, uh, it's it's a renewal it's about the past being alive today and that's something we're accustomed to thinking about really as uh, as catholics we know that uh, good friday and easter are made present during the celebration of the eucharist pentecost is made present as well especially mm-hmm. it's made present i believe in the sacrament of uh, confirmation uh, when uh, there's a special anointing with the holy spirit so that the disciples of Jesus will have the strength not just to receive uh, the gifts of the New Covenant, but to be agents of the New Covenant. And uh, here I'm going to put a plug in for the domestic churches. Mm. Uh, that's the For those that I'm confirming, this is one of the most important missions that they'll ever have, is to make sure that the homes and families they eventually establish uh, will be truly uh, domestic churches.
1: That's beautiful and that ties really well to our last episode when you were talking about confirmation and the whole idea of being agents uh of this uh of this new pentecost this new evangelization yeah. i know uh when in, in unleash the gospel and um that pastoral letter in that section where you speak about acts 29 you also note that it includes kind of some of the same elements as the early church of what we find in the original book of acts uh specifically you mentioned obviously Uh, Signs and Wonders and Repentance and Faith. Can you kind of expand upon that? I know those are two concepts that are probably, you know, one, repentance, uh, not very terribly popular probably today, and then Signs and Wonders. Many people would say that that's something of a bygone age that happened back then, but doesn't necessarily happen today. Uh, Can you explain why you specifically added those two in your pastoral letter?
0: Well, I think it's because uh, we don't think enough about them, Mike. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's my opportunity to uh, underscore uh, themes and graces, a better word, graces that we might overlook. Mm. Uh, Our Lord himself, uh, as he begins his ministry, especially in uh, the Gospel of St. Mark, as St. Mark reports it, uh, it says, repent and believe the good news, the kingdom of God is at hand. And it's a... It's a two, it's a dual, it's a double, uh, that uh, a pairing that always belongs together. If we want to uh, preach the gospel, share the good news, we're always also going to have to be calling people away from the bad news that they Mm -hmm. have mistakenly uh, believed in. And to do that, uh, not only does the agent, the evangelist need to be aware of how that works, I must be aware that it has to work that way in my life. I am, as an evangelist, I'm always being evangelized, and therefore I'm always being called to put to death the old man so I can put on the new. And the good news is that there is this new man, this new man in Christ, who brings me confidence and hope and trust that I can overcome death, and I can overcome my faults and failures, and I can be forgiven. But in order to take hold of the grace offered in the good news, I need to let go of uh, the falsities that uh, might have guided my life until that moment. And the other point, uh, you know, you asked about signs and wonders. Uh, That's very much a part of the uh, uh, the what I call the ecology or you might say the DNA, the very uh, Makeup the constituting makeup of uh, the the kingdom of the of the new covenant, uh, and perhaps uh, there isn't uh, an apostle out there uh, raising someone from the dead, but there are great uh, marvelous signs that are worked, and some of the signs that are and wonders that are worked are quite uh, significant without necessarily being uh, so dramatic. Uh, I for example every time I see a story about a Christian disciple who's able to forgive uh, a person who's done them a tremendous mm. uh, evil yeah. tremendous injury that's a tr- that's a great sign and wonder mm. that uh, of the power of the gospel and there are in fact uh, miracles of nature that take place now a few of them uh, are authenticated by the highest standards of the church. For example, uh, the woman who was cured at the tomb of uh, Father Solanus, yeah. whose uh, miraculous healing was uh, the confirmation of Father Solanus' status as, uh, as blessed. I mean, that happened. Uh-huh. I mean, the, uh-huh. there's no scientific explanation for that. Yeah. Uh, my pilgrimage to Lourdes uh, reminds me that there are, uh, and that this has been a place of great signs and wonders. The, the, they do occur, and there are many favors that the people tell me they have experienced that might not meet the very high standard that the church uses for authenticating a miracle, but people know that God is doing great things in response to prayer. I I know a, a young couple who's, uh, a uh, child uh, in the womb was diagnosed with a terrible heart problem, and they went to uh, pray at Father Solanus' tomb, and the baby was born perfectly healthy in yeah. terms of heart, and there are lots of stories like that.
2: It's good to, to be reminded of that as well, and then to proclaim those, right? And to, to make sure that we're spreading witness to, to the work that God is still doing. I wanted to go back really quickly to talk to you about the um, repentance piece. Um, a question that I often ponder, and I'm looking forward to hearing your advice or wisdom on it as somebody that works in the church and, and tries to work in evangelization. How can we call people to repentance in a world that prefers to ignore sin, so uh, talking to so many people that don't feel that there is a need for repentance because to them sin isn't a reality. So what are some of the ways we can kind of counter that as people of faith?
0: Mary, I think if we're going to be able to counter it, uh, we have to, first of all, be connected to the people we address. Mm -hmm. Now there is also a a more generic, a a kind of a general counter, where uh, publicly uh, a person, um, perhaps uh, a theologian, uh, a popular preacher, uh, somebody who uses media, Mm -hmm. uh, makes the case that uh, there there is indeed sin and points Mm -hmm. to it. Um, I think there's enough things that happen in our world today, mm. that it, that's a pretty easy case to make. Right. That this, these evils are not simply the result of uh, uh, mistakes or mental illness, but the, there, there's wickedness abroad. Mm. But to make that case uh, personally for someone, I think, and in, you have to be connected to them and you have to have their trust. And then you can begin to make the case not only about the world, mm-hmm. but ask people even to examine their own lives and to see is there not uh, evil in their life uh, and the fruit of evil, which is death, uh, and probably to begin with one's own testimony, to break open uh, that, uh, that conversation, to uh, have somebody uh, unsheath their heart and be able to listen to it and then to explain that uh, for my own, you know, my experience in this conversation is is to say to my interlocutor, I know this, but I have good news. This is not the end of the story, but there's deliverance that I have found that's available and I, I, know, I know a way for you to be delivered as well, and that's to believe in Christ and enter the church. I don't know if that makes sense. That does, actually. It's helpful
2: on both levels, right, the personal level, and also oh. just what we see and experience in the world today would indicate that something, as you said, something wicked is, is present, you know, um, but then that importance of that personal connection as well. That's great.
1: Just to kind of zero in again, I know we have talked about the repentance piece and then the signs and wonders uh, because of what you mentioned in your letter, of course, but just kind of going back to the signs and wonders for a moment, I know obviously we, we find not only in the Gospels but also in the Acts of the Apostles many, many signs and wonders being done. You know, obviously uh, there's the turning water into wine, there's the, you know, blind people that are healed and the lame that are healed and feeding 5,000 and so many things that Jesus does and even the apostles themselves do. Um, a question for us today might be how, how are, are we, Is there a way that we can better recognize because as you as you mentioned you mentioned a few yourself archbishop you know they're happening all around us today but i think we don't necessarily know about them or we don't always recognize them do you have thoughts for us as far as like one how can we better recognize them happening around us in our midst and also maybe two how can we participate in those how can we participate in those signs and wonders that the lord is doing do you have thoughts on that for us archbishop recognition
0: mike i think uh, involves uh, being open to the holy spirit in prayer ask the holy spirit dear lord god holy spirit show me today uh, the wonders that you are working in my context in my corner of the world and i promise you that i will do my best to amplify the way these glorify the heavenly father uh, through being witnesses to uh, to the Lordship of Jesus, so I think it's a it's an openness, and that openness is itself the the fruit of of prayer. And then you add another part of your question too. Oh, gonna, what do what yeah. can we do? Yeah. I, I think to to give witness, especially the witness of praise and thanksgiving, and to pray for healing. Uh, and con- you know, to, to have confidence that if the Lord wants uh, to cure someone uh, that we pray for, he will do that. But to also have confidence that he will always heal what needs healing, even if it is not for the Father's glory and the salvation of others to cure, hmm. but to, to put it into his hands, but to pray, for cures uh-huh. we, we ought to have confidence enough to do that
2: when we talk about acts 29 we can kind of think of it on a wider scale um in a global reality which is i love again how you explained uh from pentecost out right to the globe but i'm curious right here in the archdiocese of detroit um to your knowledge archbishop what are some of the ways that we are living out acts 29 as an
0: archdiocese eyes on jesus podcast yes <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Boom,
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and so many other initiatives that we have yeah. taken uh, as a way to lay hold of the gifts that were offered us in the synod, and uh, to take the twists and turns of our history since uh, 2016 and to try to discern how God is leading us even uh, on a path that uh, might not have been the one we first mapped out for ourselves after the synod closed. I think those are very, very important. Uh, I have no doubt that God heard our prayer of 2014 for a new Pentecost. That's Mm -hmm. the kind of prayer that we can be sure he answers. Now you might not be answering it exactly as we expected him to but that's part of being a good disciple is uh, to uh, let god answer our prayers the way he knows best Mm -hmm. and uh, i just see so many people who have taken up the work of evangelization with renewed enthusiasm it's been a way to restructure the life that Uh, I and my co-workers in the central operations in the Korea uh, to do our ministry I see it reshaping the ministry of uh, and revitalizing the ministries of our our parishes and our schools Uh, there are many people coming forward with new initiatives uh, new ideas about how to uh, how to be a church on uh, on mission and uh, fundamentally uh, the new Pentecost has its root or its uh, uh, foundation in the conviction, uh, the the commitment we have made to be a church on mission. And I, I think uh, we don't we don't always get it perfect, but I think we make it our priority to put mission ahead of uh, maintenance these days. I think we, we're getting that message. It's a message we need to constantly relearn, but I think it's it's
1: primary in our life as
0: the Archdiocese of Detroit.
1: You know, tied to that, I know you mentioned, obviously, in 2014, we started praying for the New Pentecost. In 2016, we held our synod. And the following year, 2017, you released Unleash the Gospel as a document, uh, as a pastoral letter for our church specifically. And even I know many outside of our archdiocese have read it and found uh, great inspiration from it. Um, you, Mike, uh, you can buy a copy on eBay for 9.95. I Look found Look at out.
2: that. Look at that. Look
1: at that. <laughs> Only not, Look, another commercial, but this one wasn't for Divine Child. <laughs> gonna,
2: see, we could talk about multiple things to point people
1: to the Lord. Oh, that's too funny. What I was, was going to ask Archbishop, though, was, you know, it's been obviously like six years since you wrote this letter. And you, and you talk in the letter, of course, about getting off the bench. You talk about Acts 29. You you, you call for people to... to um, breathe new life in the fact that they're agents of this gospel message, this new evangelization. In those six years, though, do you think—any thoughts on, like, greater ways that we can do this? Has there been anything that you specifically have, uh, have seen or that you want to invite our listeners into uh, different than maybe what you invited them to six years ago when you first wrote the letter?
0: One of the things I think is most important for going forward to live the new Pentecost are uh, the uh, missionary plans the strategic missionary plans for the families of parishes? I think uh, my hope is that when the families do their plan, they'll begin again with uh, the uh, the pastoral letter as a way to make the set the synod the foundation for what they're thinking about, and then head 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 out into the future on the basis of their plan. I think. I have a lot of uh, hope, and I entrust this hope to the Holy Spirit that the f- uh, strategic planning for the parishes and the schools will bear good fruit in advancing the work of the, uh, of the Synod. I'm very encouraged that we still talk about the Synod, that it didn't become something we've just put on the shelf and uh, said, Absolutely. well, that was that, and let's go on to the next shiny object. Mm. <laughs> My shame, yeah, absolutely like no, that.
2: I think that's so yeah. that's so key, and I remember like when we were in the midst of the pandemic, you're reflecting as well like that was never expected in two thousand and sixteen when we were meeting um in those synod meetings uh but that the spirit is just is continuing to work, and so it's exciting to see that I think.
0: Mm. There were so many surprises yeah. once the apostles started the work of evangelization. Yeah. Things they did not expect. Yeah. I'm sure they didn't expect that Saint Paul would become one of the great uh, co-workers in their life. Right. When right. Right. they saw him so holding good. the cloak of cloaks of those people who stoned uh, Stephen. Mm. But uh, God, God will surprise us if we uh, are open to what He sends. Because he will do great things.
2: Mm-hmm. Amen. Mike, as somebody that works in a parish and within your own household, uh, as a as a layperson, how are you seeing Acts twenty nine alive in the work that you are doing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say I see it as a mentality that has been more, maybe more deeply embraced since the synod of like uh, that that agency of you know, again, this is my part to to spread this message. I can't just sit on the sidelines. I have to. Um, I, I have a part to play and it's not, I think it's, it's, um, it's a division between kind of being what we would call a consumer Catholic. Like I just want to receive, I want to say my rosary, sit in my pew, go to mass. It's my hobby. It's my thing. And I do this and that's, it's mine rather and that. There's that mentality, which I still think is prevalent, but I I see the, the needle moving, if you will. And I think people are starting to think more of like, this can't just be mine. I have to find ways to give it away. I have to find ways to, to spread it. Um, like you know, that call from Acts 29 specifically to, to bring it to the ends of the earth. So uh, I have seen more people mindful of that and, and trying to find ways to do it. And it's difficult, you know, like you said, you know, between uh, COVID and so many other variables, I think it's kind of a, feels like a, we're just trying a lot of different things and not necessarily seeing success in all of them. But like we have to just, we know that we have to stay persistent in trying different things as well, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Yeah. yeah.
0: Mike, if I could pick up on a dynamic you articulated, Uh, there's a a marvelous human uh, reality that when you give something spiritual away, uh, you own it the more. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you share a conviction, you share a hope, it becomes even more your own personally. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's talk about that attitude. I think that's very, very important.
1: I see more people trying to let it go and understand they need to let it go and give it away.
0: Right.
1: How about you, Mary? At at Divine Child, what are you seeing there at Divine Child?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, No, there's, I, I, it's funny because I have used the word like anointing in a lot of our parishes I'm seeing, um, A lot of the spirit's work which is amazing but then personally when the archbishop spoke about the domestic church i am seeing some families like like my family really trying to live the spirit of the new pentecost within our households and so that's the kind of individualized word that i keep getting from the lord and through the spirit is like um a lot a lot of the world sometimes can seem a little chaotic and uh, I'm not sure how that's sustainable, but then my call and my sphere of influence is this little domestic church that I've been uh, called into. And so that urgency of living that new Pentecost with my children and my husband too, is a huge significant part of where my prayer has led. You know, the witness that we provide at home is far more important than anything that we kind of take them to or or words that we say, like, how are we living this in our own home? Which it's funny because it connects to the constant need for repentance and starting again and discipleship because within your own home households, right, is often where you show um, your biggest wounds or or biggest abilities to be broken. And so uh, just trying to live that reality, I think, in our household has been pretty significant.
0: The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, Mm -hmm. the smallest of all seeds. But yet, when it blossoms, it becomes large, and even the birds build their nest there. The kingdom of God is all of these domestic churches growing so so that uh, the world will come to dwell in them.
2: Mm. Mm. That's good. It's good. It's hard. It's a hard call because you're so vulnerable within your own household, you know. Uh, But also, the spirit is so present there. So, yeah, for sure.
0: Well, we have history to uh, underscore this. I'm reading a history of uh, Christian culture right now by Christopher Dawson. And he points out that this is the way the world in the West was Christianized, was by all of these small seeds that grew mm-hmm. and, uh, the these uh, cells of Christian culture.
1: Huh. That's beautiful. Uh, it's good work. It's good hard work <laughs> that we're doing. Archbishop, was there anything else you wanted to add just generally to the topic of Acts 29?
0: How grateful I am to God that he has set us on this path and uh, that it's not uh, my path, but it's our path uh, that uh, the response has been so remarkable. I give God praise for that.
2: Amen. We're going to move on to the next section of our podcast. And we've been excited last month and this month to welcome back our listener question section, although now it has a little bit of a different flavor. We're featuring Catholic uh, students from Catholic schools throughout the Archdiocese of Detroit who have submitted questions for you, Archbishop Vigneron. So our first question comes from Vivian at Holy Cross in Marine City. Vivian asks, do a lot of venial sins break your relationship with God like a mortal sin and maybe we can talk a little bit about that difference between mortal and venial just as a refresher and then how venial sins affect our relationship with God
0: well a a mortal sin is a grievous offense against the law of God it has to be thought uh, be serious or be thought serious there has to be sufficient reflection in full consent of the will. I learned that, I think, in fourth grade catechism, (laughs) maybe even second grade. So that's what, uh, uh, as Vivian understands, mortal sin is an act of such gravity and and such freedom that one, in performing that uh, evil act, uh, is uh, breaking friendship with God, rejecting my status as a son or daughter. So. the answer is uh, scores of venial sins do not constitute uh, a mortal sin Mm. Uh, but the problem the point to be uh, considered is uh, the more that one sins venially the easier it is to be tempted to commit a mortal sin and so uh, the the faithful disciple of jesus should abhor even in every intentional venial, all venial sins, but especially intentional venial sin, there is a particular problem with intentional venial sins, in that it does prepare the heart uh, to respond to a, a temptation to mortal sin. Hmm.
1: Yeah, thank you, Archbishop. I know it's such a hard, hard distinction there that people. But like, like you said, you know, the venial sins they can kind of add up and and uh, predispose us to make a mortal sin. Like, great way of uh, of reminder of saying that, you know. So, I have yeah, a question it's here. Like,
0: uh, it's like it's uh, like uh, termites. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they eat away. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good analogy. And then when the wind comes,
1: uh, the building gets knocked down. Hmm. Yeah, you know, it's funny. That's why I know so many people. They think you know, hey, I, you know, I don't need to go to confession and, you know, I haven't done anything major or anything majorly wrong. And, you know, and, uh, but I, you know, that's the beauty of going on a, just a regular frequency, you know, like once a month I'm going to go or every two months I'm going to go on a very regular frequency, right? It just kind of continues to heal you and, and uh, even get rid of those venial sins in a, in a way, right? So.
0: Right. The Christian you know. life is one of ongoing repentance. We're back to, uh, uh,
1: Repent and believe in the good news. Yeah, yeah. Archbishop, I have a question here that actually has three askers, uh, if that's the right way of saying it. So, <laughs> so Seth at St. Mary's a Catholic Central in Monroe, Edward at Cardinal Mooney in Marine City, and Elena at Austin Catholic in Chesterfield all sent the same question, and that is this. Have you ever experienced a miracle other than, of course, transubstantiation? Um, I know you spoke, You kind of referred to this earlier, right? But uh, any, any specific ones that you've personally experienced?
0: Well, uh, the one I mentioned about uh, the uh, the pregnant couple having the uh, condition of their uh, in uh, unborn child, uh, the heart condition taken care of. Um, I have a a friend uh, whose daughter was actually one of the uh, officially recognized healings uh, at Lourdes. So I uh, I did. I suppose that's a second-hand personal, if I could put it that way. Yeah. So I don't know. And I have met uh, the young woman who was healed at Lourdes. And what's really interesting is that she has not had an easy life. Mm -hmm. Uh, In some ways, uh, the way she thinks about it is the miracle prepared her uh, for a a life of self-offering and the Mm -hmm. challenges that have come to her in adulthood.
2: Our last question is from Nora at St. Augustine. And Nora asks, what parish or parishes did you attend while you were growing up? Do you still visit those parishes or even celebrate mass with them? I'm so excited to hear the second part because I know you speak so highly of your parish growing up.
0: Well, in fact, I was baptized at St. Mary's in New Baltimore because that's the parish in which my mother and father lived until I was about three years old. Okay. And then we moved to uh, Immaculate Conception uh, Parish in Anchorville, which is the one my father grew up in. And that that's really my home parish, uh, and uh, that, that's that been it, really. Uh, mm. And I, I haven't been back to say Mass recently, but okay. uh, from time to time I get invited, I enjoy it very much.
2: Hmm. It's such a beautiful parish, Mike, and I have been there before. Doing we did a confirmation thing there, Mike, I think, and it was Hmm. so beautiful. Far away, though, I'm always surprised how big the (laughs) Archdiocese is. When you get in the car to drive to some of these parishes, you're like, "Wow, that is not close to where I live." Um, But it was gorgeous when we were there.
0: Yeah, I think it's great, and I don't find it so far, Mary,
1: (laughs) (laughs) because you grew up there, exactly. Yeah, you're You're used used to to driving a lot. (laughs) Like,
2: oh my goodness, we're driving so far.
1: (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. Well, Archbishop, as we kind of conclude our episode, was there anything specific that we can pray for you uh, during this next month for?
0: Let's all be joined in praying for the men who will be ordained priests on the vigil of Pentecost. Uh, mm. That they uh, are open to the graces that the Holy Spirit gives them at their ordination. And that uh, they, we will all be blessed by their many fruitful
1: years of ministry. Amen. We will certainly do that. Archbishop, and uh, if you wouldn't mind closing us with a a prayer and blessing, that'd be wonderful.
0: Heavenly Father, you have given us uh, this time to uh, prayerfully talk uh, about, to consider the graces that you have unleashed in the world through the coming of your Son and his establishment of the Church. We ask that we will be faithful in our day to the mission you give us, the graces you shower upon us. And may Almighty God bless all of you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
2: Amen. Amen. Thanks, Archbishop. Thank you. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like Beyond Sundays, a new podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.